Good morning, church. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. And today we'll be reading from the book of James, starting with the first chapter and the first verse. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have some available. There are ushers in the aisles right now. They could hand you one. And if you don't have one at home, please keep it as our gift to you. And if you're reading from one of the Bibles from the church today, we'll be on page 1011. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Help us to treasure it for the gift that it truly is. And we thank you for Pastor Mike as he comes now to share with us the message you've laid on his heart for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Is this on? There it is. There it is. That's what it sounded like. Hey, I get to be the pastor here at Mission Valley Church, and I'm super excited to say that. Uh, this is our first official Sunday as Mission Valley, as a, a, a new name uh, church, and I'm super pumped. If I've never met you before, I'd sure love to do that. And so a couple ways we can do that. I'm going to be standing out in the lobby, unless I'm in the bounce house. I might be in the bounce house. I, I might be. It looks like a lot of fun. So I'll either be in the lobby or in the bounce house afterwards. Come up, shake hands. I'd love to get to know you, uh, get to know your name and all that kind of stuff. Anyways, today is our f- official launch Sunday. We, we were at Mission Valley Church last week, uh, but I was out of town. It was already predetermined. And Alfie preached. He did a great job. We're so thankful to have other guys in the church uh, that, that'll get up there and preach. And so we just fantastic. But today is our official launch, launch Sunday. And so I want to just talk a little bit. Maybe this is the first time you're here. And that's a great day. Uh, we had a couple of, of people that showed up this morning early. Uh, they thought that we started at nine, so they got here a little bit early. We were happy to greet them, and they came back. They went and did something, and they came back, and we're glad they're here. I want to talk a little bit about what kind of church we're going to be on this launch Sunday, the day of we're celebrating our birthday. Three years ago, we launched the church for the first time, and today uh, we get to be Mission Valley Church. And so what kind of church are we going to be? We're going to be a church on mission to see the valley transformed by the gospel. This is not just words that we put on a screen. This has been the mission and the heartbeat of this church since the day that we launched. We now are just putting it in words that we can see every day. And I want to talk a little bit about this mission. We are going to be a church. First and foremost, we are a church. We are not just a a group of people getting together. We're not just a group of people getting together to do something. We are a church, the body of believers, the saints who will be equipped for the work of the ministry. One of the things that you do when you come here is you get equipped for the work of the ministry. There is not one minister at this church. There is a room full of ministers at this church, and you come here on Sunday in part to get equipped for that work that you're going to do. The work that you're going to do on the campuses of GCU when you're going out and talking to other people. The work that you're going to do in your workplaces. The work that you're going to do at Sunny Slope High School. we got a a guy that works here at Sunny Slope High School, a sister school right down the street. The work that you're going to do for the ministry, you come here on Sunday to get equipped for that work. You are those who are disciples being made and those who will be making disciples. That is who the church is. We will be the church. We will be a church and we will be on mission. We will be a church on mission. If you wonder like what we're doing here, we are living on mission. And this is not the mission that I have designed for us. It's not just like our mission or my mission. This is the mission that Jesus gave us. Right before Jesus ascended into heaven, he gave the most clear mission statement of all times. He said, go therefore into all the world 
Go therefore into all the world, teach them everything that I have taught you, baptize them in my name, and disciple them to become more like me. The mission is not unique to our church, it is the primary function of every single Christian. If you have been saved by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you are a missionary. You should be living your life on mission, and we will be that kind of church, a church that understands that that's what we're doing here. This mission is where we will go into our neighborhoods, our schools, our places of business, our communities, and beyond. We will go there. We will teach people about Jesus. We will go out and teach people about Jesus. And sometimes you're going to need words to go out and tell them what Jesus has done in your life, how Jesus has saved you, how he's transformed you. We're going to be that kind of church. We're going to go into our neighborhoods, into our communities, and then further than that. We are so blessed this morning that we have missionaries that are here. We have missionaries that are here today, and we are going to support those missionaries in the work that they're doing in Africa. We have students here that are going to go on mission this summer, and we're going to be excited to partner with them. So we're not going to just stay in this neighborhood, but we feel like we have been strategically placed in this neighborhood. So we will be for the valley, the entire valley. We are here in this valley, and though we can't be accountable for all of it, we are going to do our part to reach this part of the valley. We're going to be responsible for and accountable for the three-mile radius around this neighborhood. That's going to be our focus. And then we're going to reach out further than that as we can. We're going to reach out further than that. We want to see this entire valley transformed by the gospel. And so how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to work with other organizations that help plant churches. We want to see more churches in the valley. We want to see more people come to know Christ in the valley. We want to reach out into communities in the valley that are just outside of our circle. i got a big passion and a big heart right now for the things that are happening at GC. I can't help but notice that God keeps bringing GCU students here, and that gets me excited as a former college pastor. I'm super pumped about that. I really, I can't hardly contain myself. I'm super excited, and so we're going to do that kind of stuff. We're going to be about the valley, and of course, we're going to send support and prayer to international ministries outside of the valley. We are going to see transformation We want to be a community where we see transformation. We want to see individuals' lives transformed by the gospel. I want to see things like we're going to see next week when a girl gets baptized, a girl that two years ago didn't want to come to church, whose mother would literally drag her here, is going to get up here and tell people how Jesus saved her and changed her life. And you don't want to miss that, I promise you that. We're going to see individual lives transformed. We're going to see families transformed. We're going to see families strengthened by the power of the gospel. We want to see communities transformed. We want to see the valley transformed. We believe that individuals and families and communities and schools should be better off for having a church in their community. It should make things better for them. And we don't, we don't do this because there's any particular power in the gathering necessarily of the people. We do this. We know the transforming power comes from the gospel. That is why everything we do is going to be gospel-centered. You will hear the gospel every single time you come to this church. When you come into this church, you're going to hear the gospel. And you can know this. Is this the kind of place where I can bring somebody that doesn't know the gospel? Absolutely. And you don't have to wonder, is this going to be one of those Sundays where Mike shares the gospel? Because I won't even bother getting up here if I'm not going to share the gospel. There's just no other reason for me to be up here. I want you to bring your friends here that don't know Jesus so that I can tell them about Jesus if you haven't had a chance to yet. And so one of our favorite ways is to just tell this story of the gospel. The gospel is simply this. God made the world and it was beautiful. It started off beautiful and everything worked exactly like it was supposed to. It was beautiful in God's creation and it was perfect. But then man sinned and broke it. 
And he just sinned and broke it. And you and I do this every single day. We sin when we choose our ways instead of God's ways. We sin, and it's that sin that leads to brokenness in the world. And the very, very worst part of the brokenness in this world is that it leads to a separation between God and us. God is so perfect and so wonderful and so spectacular that he just can't be around sin. And so there's this separation. But God loves us so much that he would not leave us in this separated state. He just wouldn't leave us in that separated state. And so the truth is that he sent his son, Jesus, down here on earth on a mission to save us. And while Jesus was here, he lived the perfect life that we never could, and he died the horrific death that we deserve, so that when we believe, we can be back in community with God. And you're going to hear that every single time you come to this church. You're going to hear some version of that every time you come here. And why do we do that? Because I anticipate you bringing people here that don't know it. If you ever wonder, like, why does Mike keep telling us that? We've heard that 38 times. I know what he's talking about. I'm not telling you. Maybe I am telling you because you forgot. I'm telling your friends that are supposed to be sitting next to you that you forgot to bring. I want you to do that. I want you to bring them here so that they can hear. It is this gospel that makes everything else we do make sense. It is this gospel that means that Jesus is alive. And because Jesus is alive, everything is changed. It is this gospel that doesn't make sick people better. It makes dead people alive. Y'all, this is the gospel and that's what we're gathered for. It is this gospel that leads to transformed lives. And that is why I'm so excited that we're starting this year. We're starting this year in this new season as Mission Valley Church with a new series. And we're going to walk through the book of James. And we're calling this series, James, A Transformed Life. Now, I'll tell you, one of the things that happens at a church is the pastor gets a lot of credit when the work actually gets done out in the body. And let me just tell you something about this image real quick. Uh, Natalie Warner does our images. She does all of our media. She does all of our stuff. I've said this a hundred times and I'll say it a hundred more until Jesus comes back. If every church planner had a Natalie on staff, they would all be better off for it. And I got one. She's so good. Natalie designed this. This is actually... Her, her, that's her picture. God has gifted her with so much, so much talent, unbelievable talent, and she just pours that talent out on his church. She just always says, yes, what can I do? And it's so good. Talk to Natalie afterwards. Natalie, thank you. We love you so much. Anyways, uh, we're going to go through the book of James, and I got to just tell you, I want to just, I, I just be honest with you. If I could just be honest with my church for a second, this is a hard book of the Bible. This is a hard, James, some of you were shaking your heads like you've been on this ride before. Like this is a tough one. I just went to Disneyland and we rode some of the rides and some of the rides like make me a little queasy. This is, this is a hard ride for the James is a, a tough one to go through. This is a hard book uh, and I'm excited about it because it is often through the hard things that we see the most transformation. Think about your life. If you, when you go through something hard, you often see the most transformation. Think about this. If you work really hard, if you spend a lot of time working on a hard relationship, you'll often see a lot of transformation in that. Maybe it's in a marriage or, or a friendship where you've got to do a lot of work, and it's hard work. And, and when you do that work, you see the transformation. Or, or if you're working through like a hard degree program, some of you are working through hard degree programs, and when you get through that, you see this transformation. I know things I didn't used to know. I'm, I'm doing things I didn't used to be able to do. Or maybe you go through a hard season at work, or you work through a hard fitness regime. The hard things often lead to transformation. And so we're going to walk slowly through this book and allow God's word to transform us. We're going to go through this book for information primarily. We're going to go through this book for transformation. We're going to allow God's word to transform us. And so 
Uh, on your way out today, you can grab, uh, we have some of these, these, these journals. Uh, they're, they're, they're the James, uh, letter of James. Do we have a picture of that, Natalie? Um, we don't. It's good. Uh, we, we have these uh, James uh, prayer journals. Uh, and what it is, is just a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Bible, um, it's, it's a Bible where, where you can take notes in it, and it's going to be our gift to everybody. Uh, there's, you know, with everything going on, we didn't get all of them in today. We'll have them all by next week. We have a bunch of them on the way out, but you can grab more of them. But as we uh, get into this book of James, I need you to to think about the book of James, and I want you to just jot down two things wherever you take notes. Maybe you take notes in your phone or, or in a journal or whatever. I want you to jot down uh, two pieces of information, and I think that these are, are going to be two truths that we're going to rest on as we're going through James. And it's important that we keep these two truths. The first one is this As Christians, we are saved by grace and grace alone. I need us to know that as Christians, we are saved by grace and grace alone. See, throughout this book of James, is going to speak much about faith that works. He's going to talk about being an action-oriented Christian. He's going to talk about that. But I don't ever want us to lose sight of the fact that we are saved by grace and grace alone. We don't deserve this, and we could not earn this. There's nothing we could do to ever get it. Jesus has done something for us. And so we need to keep that in our mind so that we don't get in our head something that would sound like, well, if I will just do this, God could love me enough to save me. No, God already loved you enough to save you in spite of all the stuff that you do. You're saved by grace and grace alone. But the second thing I want you to jot down, which is equally true, is this. As Christians, as Christians saved by grace, we are being transformed daily into the image of Jesus Christ. I want us to understand this just as well. As those who have been saved by this grace, we're being transformed daily into the image of Christ. That means that every single day we should look, sound, and act talk and work different than the world and more like Jesus. Every single day we should be less and less like the world and more and more like Jesus. And we need to keep these two truths in our head. Uh, the church word for these two things, that first one, grace, that is salvation. That is, we're, we're saved. It's salvation. And then this, this being transformed into Jesus' in this, uh, image, that's sanctification. These are just two church words you just kind of need to know. Salvation and sanctification. And both are equally true. And so it's fitting that we're reading this letter written by James, the brother of Jesus. This is a guy who has firsthand understanding that salvation only came through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. But at the very same time, he sees that if you're truly following Jesus, you should look more and more like him. And so today, the big idea, if you're into taking notes, is simply this. The Christian life is a transformed life. The Christian life is a transformed life. If you are a Christian, your life should look, sound, and act different today than it did the day before you believed. It should just start to look different. You, you, you live a transformed life. You'll start doing things different. Things that made sense to you before won't make sense to you now. Things that didn't seem to make sense before will start to make sense the closer you start to following Jesus. It's a transformed life. And so we're going to go through this text and make some statements about it. And the first statement is this, the transformed life is a certain servant life. Church, I want us to understand that the transformed life is a servant life. Let's look at what James says in verse 1. He says, James, a servant of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. He is opening up this letter. He is just opening this letter and saying, hey, greetings. It's me, James. I'm going to talk to you. And if you wonder what I am, I am a servant. This is only the opening verse of this letter, and James is already teaching us about transformed people. He says that transformed people are servants. It's important that we understand that James did not always believe that Jesus was the Messiah Savior. 
James was like the older brother, and his little brother comes up into the world. He's born from his mother. This is Jesus' like earthly older brother. And I bet you he thought about him the way that older brothers think about little brothers. He probably teased him. He probably messed with him. He maybe he picked on him. We don't know what all he did, but he did some stuff, I'm sure, because that's what older brothers do. And now all of a sudden, he is realizing through Jesus' life that there was something that was totally different about his brother, and now he sees him differently. Now as he's writing this letter, James has completely transformed his vision of his role with Jesus. He no longer sees himself as Jesus's older brother. He sees himself as Jesus's servant. He sees himself as a servant of God and of Jesus Christ. And I believe as transformed people, we all ought to be servants. We are servants of Jesus. We should serve Jesus in the way that he directed us to serve. If you wonder what Jesus would tell us to do, go open his word and see how he would have you live. Jesus said things like, love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Serve him like that by loving God well. Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. Serve Jesus by loving your neighbor well. Jesus said, go teach and baptize. And so these are directives that we have been given. And as servants, as transformed people, this is how we ought to live our lives. You see, as Christians, we have a king, and he's sitting on the throne, and we serve him. Jesus is the king, and he is right now at the right hand of God. He is on the throne where he will sit for eternity, and we serve him. And so if you ever wonder to yourself, who is this all about? For what are we doing all of this? Why do we gather every week? Why do we set up pipe and drape and, uh, and set up and tear down? Why do we do all this stuff? Well, it's all about Jesus. It is all about Jesus. It is for His glory. Surely it is for our good, but it is for His glory. You see, before Jesus saves us, we are self-consumed. We think about ourselves and our needs and our happiness and our, 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 our preservation. But as transformed people who know that Jesus loved us enough to go to the cross for us so that we can be with Him, loved us enough to humble Himself and serve, that's not really about us anymore. It's about Jesus. This is how transformed people think. I think, like, I'm going to do this thing because this is what Jesus would want me to do. And somebody would look at you and say, well, that looks like it's going to be really hard. You'd be like, well, yeah, I didn't say it was going to be hard, but this is what Jesus would have me do. So I'm going to do that. So serve him, love him, love your neighbors. Think less of yourself that, you can be, that he can be lifted high. The transformed life is a servant life. It's a servant life. You say, well, I didn't sign up to be a, 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 a servant. Well, if you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, you follow one who is a servant, who served humbly unto the Lord, who said to his Father, if there's any other way, let this pass in front of me, but not my will, your will be done. That is who we serve. That is our King. And as his people, we should serve like him. Second thing I want you to know this morning, church, is the transformed life can face trials with joy. The transformed life can face trials with joy. This is what it says in James 1, 2. It says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. James says when you meet trials, not if you meet trials. Notice that he says when you meet trials. In other words, the trials are coming. Ain't no way you're getting out of this world without facing trials. There's no prescription here that James has for how to avoid the trials in life, the troubles in life. They're coming. They're going to happen. And this seems so fitting for the world that we live in right now. It seems so fitting as I just think about the world that we live in right now that we're going to just live through some trying times. The other day on Friday, I dropped my daughter off at school. 
I dropped Mikhail off at school, and I was driving to a meeting, and I was listening to news talk radio. It turns out I'm old now. Old guys listen to news talk radio. I didn't know, but it turns out that's what I do. So anyways, I'm listening to news talk radio, and it's like, like where they give like the little highlights of what's going on, but they should have called it lowlights. And so this is what the guy said. I just wrote this down. I just pulled over, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is horrible. The way he's talking, it sounds really bad out there. He said, man, he goes, there's delays, delays at Sky Harbor Air, Airport because uh, too many TSA agents are out. There's threats of schools shutting down again. Gas prices are the highest they've been in years. Inflation is starting to get out of control. And the federal government just released a report that December had the worst than expected job growth. Basically, everything's horrible. And I was driving thinking to myself, my gosh, is anything good going on at all? This sounds horrific. And I know that the guy in the car next to me must have been listening to the same radio station because he was just in his car crying and like sort of waving back and forth, sobbing. He just like, I'm serious. Either that or he was listening to Taylor Swift. I don't know. He just seemed sad about something. I know it was like a breakup song or he was listening to the same uh, radio station as he. But it certainly feels tough out there right now. I mean, I'm not making light of it. It certainly feels tough out there. And that's not to mention the real hard stuff that individuals are going through. There's real hard things that people are dealing with, relationship problems and health problems and financial problems. There are just hard times happening around us, difficult times. And James is going to refer to these difficult times that come into our life as trials. And here's what I want us to know. Trials and hard times are part of what it is to live in this broken world. I mean, that's what it is. It's a broken world. It's going to hurt you from time to time. There's no way around it. The rug of this world is going to get yanked out from underneath you. You're going to have all these really great plans, and then somebody's going to just pull the rug out from underneath you. That's just how it worked. The system is like rigged against it. It's going to be like that. Don't walk around just thinking that there's a good way to avoid every hard thing that's going to happen in your life. Instead, look at the fact that you're going to have to go through hard times, and you can do so with joy. You can do so with joy. Now, I'd say certainly there's some things that we can do, decisions that we could make that could lead to more hard times. I mean, sometimes we go through hard times because we do dumb stuff, and we should avoid that the best we can. But there's a lot of times where hard things are just coming for you, whether you tried to get there or not. You could live a healthy lifestyle and still be diagnosed with cancer. You can drive as safe as you can, and some dude could still run into you with a motorcycle. You can work as hard as you can and still find yourself laid off or fired. There are just some trials that are unavoidable, and James isn't going to tell us to do anything to avoid them. Instead, he's going to tell us to face these trials with joy. And not only does James speak to this, but it's literally all over Scripture that you can have joy in spite of your circumstances. It's just all throughout Scripture. This isn't just something James is saying. In Psalm 5.11 it says, But let all who take refuge in, in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exalt you. In Psalm 51, 11 and 12 it says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with the willing spirit. In Psalm 126, 5, it says, those who sow in tears shall reap in joy. What a fantastic promise in the Bible. You ever just stop and be like, hey, God, thanks for that one. As I'm sitting here in tears of, of, of sorrow that, I, that I'm going to reap joy. In Philippians 4, 4, it says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And this is not some sort of fake it until you make it joy. Christian, I want us to understand we don't have to fake this until we make this. This is not to pretend nothing is wrong. 
And there's bad stuff out there. I'm not saying that there's not. This is not walking through the world with rose-colored glasses joy. This is joy that comes when you know that Jesus is alive and that means that He's defeated the very worst thing that this world has to offer. And as people who believe in Him, we get the same reward He got, which is eternity in heaven. So whatever this world would throw at us is but temporary because we'll spend eternity with our King. Yeah, amen, that's good. Guys, this is so good. And so we can face these trials with joy. We can face these trials with joy because we know that in the end it's going to be okay. And if it's not okay yet, it's just not the end yet. Look what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 6 and 7. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Christians and non-Christians will face trials. There's no way around it. The world is broken and it will try to hurt you, but the transformed life can face trials with joy. And maybe even more than that, the transformed life perseveres. The transformed life will persevere. It will persevere through this. This is what it says in verse 1-3. It says, For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Trials will persist. Testing will persist. I've heard over and over again people say that 2020 was such a hard year until they got to 2021. And now like nine days into 2022, it doesn't seem like it's going to get a whole heck of a lot easier around here. But you can go through these trials knowing that they are creating steadfastness in your life and perseverance in your life, the kind of life and faith that is not easily shaken. As you go through hard times, you realize that it draws you closer to God. It brings you closer to Jesus. And then when you face harder times in the future, you know how to do that because you've done it before. I think about when Penny and I were very first married. We were very first married. We, 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 we were like barely making it. We both were full-time students. We were like in college. We had jobs waiting tables. We had those kind of jobs where you were just like, man, I just need like 12 more dollars and I'll be able to keep the electric on. It's going to be so cool. We were just tight. It was tight. We did fine, but it was tight. And there was a week that happened where on the same week, our battery went out in the car and, the, and we got a flat tire. And it was like, man, this is the end of the world for us. This is like as bad as it can get, man. 50 bucks for a battery and 60 bucks for a tire man shut it down we're just going to hang it up going to go home and cry it's really really bad and it was like the hardest thing we could imagine and so what did we learn to do in those hard times in the beginning we learned to trust ourselves less and trust god more we learned to go to god and pray to get on our knees and say hey this is really bad i'm sure you'll help us find a way to get through this and this served us well when life actually got hard we always think life is hard and then it gets harder later like i thought a flat tire and a battery was bad and then fast forward like eight years and I got a house that like I, that I can't afford I got a wife on bed rest I got $85,000 in medical bills because my daughter spent 12 weeks in the hospital like that was so much harder I was like can I get a flat tire instead Lord please right but it was the beginning understanding like how when you're going through these hard times through these trials you lean into God you draw close to God and sometimes I think that God will let us go through these hard times because that's where he wants us i think the problem that we have sometimes is that we get out there and think that we're just crushing it look at us man i got the world man i'm just crushing it. i'm doing such a good job look at me i'm so great and you're so far from god and sometimes in these hard times we press in close to him and i want us to do that and james is telling us to do that he says the transformed life will persevere 
And so if you're in a season where the trials are hard, know that you are building up steadfastness and perseverance in Christ. Lean in to Him. And finally, the transformed life is complete. I think this is the sweetest promise in these first four verses of this text. The transformed life is complete. This is what it says. It says, and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Church, let me tell you that one of the most encouraging things and one of the biggest reasons to sing out loud today is that you can have a complete life lacking in nothing. I understand that the world that we live in encourages us to get more. This world's always encouraging us to get more, right? You need more power. You need more stature. You need more money. You need, you need, you need more stuff. You need more, 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 and more. And I, I understand that the world says that. And when I look out into the world and I see people who don't have the completeness that comes from a king who says it is finished, I understand why they need it. But for those who believe in the life, death, and resurrection, for those that serve a king that says, come follow me because my burden is easy and my yoke is light, I understand that we have a completeness. For those that have been transformed by the blood of Jesus, we can say to money, I don't need you. You will not captive me. I won't be captive to you. I'm not going to do it. We can look at power and say, I don't need it because I serve the one that actually has it. We can look at security and say, I am as secure as I could ever be, not because of anything I could possess, but because of the one who possesses me. That is what we get to do. It is a complete life. And so a life without Jesus will always leave you looking for more. But the transformed life, the life transformed by Jesus is complete and lacks nothing. Now, of course, the transformed life is not something to be achieved. It's not something we can get. It's not something we can do. It is something that starts when you believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And if you've never done that, you can believe today. See, the transformation doesn't start when you do something. The transformation starts when you believe something that's already been done for you. This is what really happened. Jesus Christ really did come down here as a baby. He really did grow up to be a man who lived a perfect life, the perfect life that you and I could never live. Most of us will sin before we walk out of the room today. Like most of us, me and Dan especially. We'll do it. I know us. We're going to do it. Right, Dan? We'll sin before we get out of here. Most of us are going to sin before we get out of the room. We could never, ever live the perfect life, but Jesus did. And not only did Jesus live the perfect life, but he died the horrific death that you and I deserve. We have have committed cosmic treason in the way that we have turned our backs on God time and time and time again. And we do not deserve any of the grace that we got. And then still, in that, while we were still sinners, God sent Jesus down here to save us. And Jesus died on that cross. And he not only died on that cross, but he was buried. But then three days later, he walked right out of the grave and said to Satan, sin and death, you have no power over me, over those that follow me. And if you've never believed that, I want you to believe that this morning. Can you believe? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the work that you are doing in our lives. We thank you for not leaving us in the state that you found us in. Lord, that you came to us in this sinful state that we were in and you saved us and now you are working on us, working on us until the day that you come back. Lord, we are thankful for that. God, if there is anybody in this room today, 
there's anybody in this room today or listening in on the podcast that has never believed in you, that doesn't know what it is like to have a life of completeness that can only be found in you, God, I ask you to give them the faith to believe. Help them to believe this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.